Without Pretense, written by Appledell. As he usually wondered whenever he got himself into similar positions, Draco Malfoy was busy wondering how he ever made Harry Potter look at him that way, as if he'd carried off some splendid piece of magic or a particularly impressive Quidditch play. Draco never knew when he'd encounter the look again, but he always wanted to prolong the experience once he'd managed to bark his shins on it. He was torn between basking luxuriantly and trying not to look as if he were basking. Surely Potter was only grateful for the assistance Draco had offered him. Everything to do with the reconstruction effort was Potter's pet passion. He was certainly being extremely lavish with his gratitude. Thanks again, said Potter, for perhaps the half-dozenth time that evening. Thanks awfully. Draco would almost have said it must be Potter's glass of cider, making his eyes shine so, but he'd barely sipped it. Draco decided that if it wasn't the drink, it must be the heat of the crowded muggle pub, and waved Potter's thanks away. I should be thanking you. I'd never have had the chance to speak to the Wizengamot without your embarrassing them into it. Potter smiled quite a lavish smile at him, and Draco took a hasty sip of his own cider. Well, you've done a lot of good with your testimony, said Potter earnestly, leaning forward slightly in his seat and fixing his pond-colored eyes on Draco like a warm spotlight. And you'll join the commission, once we've got the official support to form it? Obviously I'm going to join the commission. I'm part of your credentials, aren't I? I'm practically the poster boy for reform. Poster boys unite! Potter held out his glass to toast Draco. Draco clinked his pint against Potter's fervently. Hear, hear. I'm glad you're keen, Potter said when they'd sipped their drinks. We really do need you. The spiral of black curls brushing against the scar on his forehead bounced as he shifted in his seat. It looked ticklish, and he raised a hand to push it back. Of course you do, Draco tossed his head, then brushed back his own hair, tucking it behind his left ear. You've always found my presence extremely motivating, haven't you? To Draco's utter surprise, Potter reached out and took hold of his wrist, looking intently at his watch. Shit, is that really the time? Potter, if you slop cider on this shirt, you will live to regret it. It's a very thirsty silk. Of course it's the correct time. What's the matter? What do you mean by manhandling me this way? Sorry, I've really got to run. I'm late for... Well, got to go. So sorry. Potter rose from his chair and dropped some muggle money on the table, muttering something that sounded like, Lillian's going to kill me if we're late. Draco felt suddenly exceedingly foolish, his lovely, glowy mood all in tatters. Who's Lillian? Potter seemed not to hear. I'm really sorry to run away from you. Can I buy you a drink tomorrow instead? Another one, I mean, and stay the whole time you're drinking it. Draco tried not to scowl. Of course, but what? I'm really sorry, said Potter again. Then he swept his jacket off the back of his chair and hurried out of the pub. Well, that was rude said Draco, watching him out. Through the huge front window of the pub, he could see Potter making for that ridiculous turquoise muggle car he borrowed from Weasley sometimes. That was curious. If he was in such a hurry, he might have just stepped into the alley between the pub and the salon next door and disapparated. After a moment's thought, Draco collected his own jacket and slipped out of the pub after Potter. He ducked into the alley and cast a disillusionment charm over himself then trotted toward the spot where Potter had parked his car. Luckily, Potter had left the door open, 
and seemed to be moving things to the boot in order to make room for a passenger. Draco quickly folded himself into the back while Potter's attention was diverted. Having ridden once on the night bus, Draco reckoned he knew what to expect from a car and hastily fastened his seatbelt as Potter slid into the driving seat. Potter pushed a tape into the tape player and Draco was very surprised to hear Celestina Warbeck come crackling out of the speakers. Draco wasn't sure if it was his tardiness pushing him to be a bit reckless, or if Potter were generally a terrifying driver, but he wove in and out of traffic, muttering invective under his breath. It made Draco very queasy. Draco decided to remove the disillusionment charm, subterfuge be damned. You couldn't slow down a bit, Potter? Only I think I'm going to be sick in your rucksack. Potter jumped and swore, and nearly went up on the curb. Malfoy, where did you come from? Evidently, I followed you. Where did we land on slowing down? Potter began to laugh. You followed me? That's very me of you. Any particular reason? You're not the only one who follows people. I've followed you before. I was always following you first year, actually. Can't think how you never noticed. I did know you followed me, though because you couldn't help squawking about it sooner or later, could you? All my squawking was strategic, I assure you. Where are we going? Potter seemed to consider something. Then, with the air of a confessor, he said, I'm giving someone a lift. Draco raised an eyebrow, regretting that the gesture was lost on Potter, who, mercifully, had his eyes on the road, though it wasn't stopping him from trailing so close after a taxi that he might have been in love with it. Not one of our lot, I assume. No, she's a muggle. There was a brief silence, then Draco remarked, trying very hard not to sneer, and being not entirely sure he didn't. So when you say you're giving her a lift, you're speaking euphemistically? Potter laughed. I mean, I'm fetching her from her house and bringing her to the bingo. She's about 85, I think. She's my granny. Ah. Draco paused again trying to think how best to remind Potter that he famously had no family living. Not my real granny, Potter clarified. No. The chilly mist that had been settled over the city all day was turning into rain, and Potter switched on his rain wipers. There was a sort of mix-up in a cafe a couple of years ago, and, uh, long story short, she thinks I'm her dead daughter's only child. So I see her a couple of times a month and go round to help out. Take her to the supermarket, change light bulbs, help her with her VCR so she doesn't miss EastEnders when she goes to the seaside with her bingo friends. Things like that. I had to bring Hermione round for the VCR, though. The first time. Draco reckoned he understood some of that. So you've been letting an old muggle woman think you're her grandson for years? That is extremely Potter of you, Potter. So, I'm bringing her to the bingo, said Potter, firmly. She's got to get to the bingo somehow or other. It's where she sees... Catherine. Who's Catherine, your other pretend granny? It's nothing dodgy, Potter insisted. We're friends. I write her letters in the Muggle Post. Draco laughed. Of course you do. Very big of you to bring her to the bingo all the time, so that she can see Catherine, Potter. Be nice to her, all right? Potter was slowing down and seemed to be looking at the house numbers. When have you ever known me not to be nice? Ha ha, very funny. Just behave yourself, all right? Mind your manners. Draco clasped his hands so that he wouldn't rub his left forearm. 
It wouldn't be fair to sink into sulky snappishness at the idea he'd be rude to a muggle these days. He pushed away the sulk, clutched at his politeness with both hands. Of course, it'll give me the chance to practice my muggle etiquette. Potter scarcely noticed. That's the spirit. Only, will I need to know what bingo is? Harry Potter's pretend granny was sitting in front of her estate on a bench, a large yellow umbrella open against the rain, and a quite oversized purple handbag in her lap. She didn't look all that much like Potter, except that their skin was about the same lovely shade of brown. But there was something Gryffindorian in the set of her shoulders and the way she held her head. It wasn't difficult to understand why she'd seen a kinship between them. Potter bounced out of the car almost the moment he saw her, barely bothering to bring the car to a complete stop first. You shouldn't be sitting out here in the rain. I'd have rung the bell. Draco heard him gabble through the door he'd left open. Sorry I'm late. Oh, it's no matter, lovey. The old muggle woman patted Potter's cheek once he'd helped her to her feet. I'm sure we'll get there in time. She bent and looked in the window at Draco. Hello, are you coming with us to the bingo? Draco shifted a bit in his seat. I shouldn't want to impose. Per, uh, Harry was just giving me a lift home. Sorry to have held him up. Oh, nonsense. I'm sure I wouldn't want you walking in the rain on my account. Don't be precious, put in Potter, helping his pretend granny into the passenger seat and then resuming his place in the driving seat. Well then, I'd love to. Thanks very much, Mrs. Miller, dear, said Harry Potter's fake granny. Lillian Miller but you must call me Lillian. Draco tried not to catch Potter's eye. Thank you, I will. Granny, this is my, um, this is Draco Malfoy, Potter added, having evidently realized he ought to have made introductions. We were at school together, and now we're... Potter considered for such a long time that Draco felt himself beginning to blush. Now we work together. Ah, said Lillian. And we're friends, Potter added, as if he couldn't help himself. Good friends. Ah, said Lillian, looking at Draco in the rearview mirror. I thought you might say something like that. Pleasure to meet you, said Draco loudly, willing himself not to blush again. Likewise, I'm sure, said Lillian with a smile. Draco turned out to be quite good at the bingo. Potter maintained that it was impossible to be good at bingo and that it was a game of chance. Tell that to my prize, Harry Potter, said Draco airily. He'd won a teapot shaped like a rampant lion, which he gallantly offered to Lillian. He was quite pleased when she firmly declined. He's only jealous, Lillian assured Draco, catching eyes with him in the rearview mirror. Mmm, one of his few flaws, Draco agreed. Fine, gang up on me, said Potter rather tragically. I've accepted that's my lot in life. Maybe next time, dear, Lillian consoled him as they rolled to a stop in front of her estate. Now, will the two of you come in for cake? I baked it this morning, and it'll only go off if I don't share it. I'd love to, said Draco promptly. Me too, said Potter, trying to look a little annoyed, but not quite bringing it off. Once they were inside her flat, Lillian ushered them through a dim front room into the smallest kitchen Draco had ever seen. In the center of the little round kitchen table was an enormous, fluffy, cobweb-colored cat, 
so huge that it made the smallish table look positively miniature. The cat perked up as soon as the kitchen light went on, and its yellow eyes met Draco's with distinct interest. Get down from there, Rachy. You know you're not allowed on the table, you naughty beast. Lillian flapped a hand at the cat, trying to shivvy it off the table, but it only rubbed against her hand and purred loudly. Your cat's name is Rachel? Draco asked. Oh no, Rachy is short for HRH. Lillian laughed like she'd made a joke, and Draco looked to Potter for help. As in Her Royal Highness, Potter supplied. Ah, of course, said Draco, still having no idea what they were talking about, but laughing politely anyway. I can do that, Potter offered hastily, when Lillian began to put the kettle on. No trouble, dearie. Just attend to Rachy if you don't mind. Come here, Rach. Potter lifted the cat in his arms and pulled out a chair for Draco before he sat down at the table. As soon as they were both seated, the cat pushed out of Potter's arms and sprang onto Draco's lap with a lightness that surprised him, considering its tremendous size. Oh, she loves visitors, said Lillian cheerfully, setting a domed cake plate on the table. Draco sneezed. How flattering. Are you allergic to cats, Malfoy? Potter asked. Am I what? Draco let out another mighty sneeze, trying to drown the bulk of it in his elbow, and failing because the cat bumped its huge head against his arm. They make you sneeze? Evidently, said Draco thickly. The cat made a bright chirruping noise and braced its paws against Draco's shoulder to rub its head on his cheek. Draco's eyes stung and streamed, and he sneezed so hard that his ears began to ring. Good lord! The cat finally took offense and jumped down to the floor, twitching its tail irritably. Potter frowned at him. You don't look so good. Draco saw Potter's hand slip into his pocket and a quick bulge of the fabric, and Potter offered Draco a handkerchief. Draco accepted the handkerchief gratefully and dabbed at his eyes. Oh, but I feel stupendous. Lillian seemed to agree with Potter. Good heavens, Draco, you don't look well at all. Maybe you'd like a wash and some allergy medicine. It's in the bathroom. Harry, love, will you show him? Come on. Potter rose and gave Draco a hand up from his chair. Draco followed him down a short corridor to the bathroom, and once they were inside, Potter took a bottle down from a shelf above the sink and poured a thin potion into a tiny cup. This stuff tastes like you wouldn't believe, but it actually will make you feel better. Potter reached into his pocket and pulled out a tin of mints. That should help with the taste afterward. Draco took the tin and the little cup of potion. Thank you. No problem. Be in the kitchen when you're through. Potter slipped out and shut the door behind him. Draco had a wash first and tried to siphon cat hair off his shirt with his wand, but it looked much nicer after he had another pass with the clothes brush. Then he combed through his hair with his fingers as it was looking a little windswept. When he was a bit more presentable, he inspected the potion suspiciously and took a tiny sip. It was absolutely foul, and he tipped the rest down the sink, then rinsed his mouth and popped in one of Potter's mints. As soon as he'd opened the bathroom door, Draco could hear Lillian and Potter talking in the kitchen, and something in their tone made him slide silently along and press himself against the front wall beside the door to the kitchen to listen in. Lillian's voice was low and gentle, but very Gryffindorian indeed. Harry, dear, I've been meaning to tell you something. All right, Potter sounded bemused. Go on, then. 
I don't have any grandchildren, Harry. I never had children. I'm like you. There was a very weighty pause. Like me? said Potter cautiously, and Draco wondered if he was thinking of the statute of secrecy. How do you mean? I mean that I'm queer. Oh, Potter sort of tittered nervously. What a coincidence. He sounded relieved. Draco wished he could see his face. It was silly and wrong of me to pretend, Harry. Though I expect you never really did think I was your granny, did you? Well, no, Potter admitted. I just sort of... It was an impulse, really. I just wanted to help, and then... I got a bit carried away. So did I. But I'm very glad we got to be friends. Still, you see what I mean, I hope. Uh, I I think so. We both, uh, lied, I suppose. Because we wanted to be friends. But we needn't have, because wanting to be friends is a good enough reason? Something like that? Love justifies itself, and we do ourselves an unkindness when we imagine that it doesn't. Right, and it's better to be honest than dishonest, Potter added, somewhat archly. Lillian laughed. Yes, it is. I'm sorry. So am I, said Potter. Funny how we're not actually related, but we're really quite a lot alike. There was a sort of shifting, rustling sound, and Draco supposed they must be hugging each other. Lillian made a polite little cough. Well, I suppose I ought to wrap up some cake for poor old Draco. I don't imagine he'll want to linger and sneeze his head off. I should check on him, said Potter, and then there was a sudden scraping of chairs. Draco wondered wildly if he ought to apparate into the bathroom and pretend he'd been there all the while. But too late. It only took Potter three steps to reach the kitchen doorway, and Draco instead pretended that he'd just come up the passage. Oh, there you are, Potter said with a smile. Here I am, agreed Draco, head still fixed on. I'm not actually sure how to get to your place, remarked Potter as they pulled away from the curb in the little blue car that Draco was becoming rather fond of. Nor am I come to that. Potter laughed. You don't know where you live? Draco scoffed. Of course I know where I live. Only I don't know how to get there from here in this ridiculous, too slow, too fast vehicle. I always apparate or flew. Or portkey if I'm coming from my mother's, because international apparition makes me ill. Well, I'm in the same position, I'm afraid. I could bring you to mine, and you can flew from there if you like. Fine. Neither of them acknowledged that Draco could also simply get out of the car and apparate home. All right, then. Potter went quiet at that, drumming his fingers thoughtfully on the steering wheel as he drove, and sneaking little looks at Draco out of the tail of his eyes. Draco was quite well-placed to notice all these sidelong glances, as he was doing much the same thing. When they arrived at their destination, they mounted the stairs up to Potter's flat in silence. Potter had an air of thoughtfulness about him that was almost tangible in its thickness. He missed entirely when he tossed his keys at a table in the entryway, and did not bother to pick them up. Claude, Draco said cheerfully, stooping to retrieve the keys and put them into the dish Potter had been aiming at. Thanks, Potter said absently. I had an interesting chat with Lillian while you were in the loo. Draco went sort of hot inside at the recollection. Did you? Yeah, 
She said, uh, well, we sort of agreed that wanting to be friends is a good enough reason to be friends, and um, pretending that there's something else to it is silly. Draco swallowed and wet his lips. Very sensible. You see what I mean? Draco opened his mouth, suspecting that he did, but couldn't seem to bring to the surface anything appropriate to say. He shut his mouth again. Potter seemed to be in similar straits, but with his own dose of Gryffindorian courage, he screwed up his face and blurted, Do you want to come out for a drink with me tomorrow night? Draco blinked. Hadn't we already agreed to do that? Well, yes, but... Potter breathed in through his nose. Obviously, you're very important to the reconstruction and that, but I think it's time we just... If you... I mean... This isn't a Reconstruction Committee-related outing. I want to see you because... I want to see you. See you, okay? Like a date. Draco smiled so hard he nearly couldn't answer. Harry Potter, your gift for romance is truly stunning. Harry grinned back at him like a sunrise. Shut up. I take it back, prick. In fact, I might hex you now. Liar said Draco, smiling far harder than he'd previously realized he was capable of. No, really, I've thought better of it in the last four seconds. I bet you take ages fixing your hair. Who needs it? Draco laughed. Hmm, well then, I suppose you'd rather I didn't kiss you goodnight before I use your flu? Harry's eyelashes actually fluttered, and his lips parted eagerly. Go on, then. He edged a step closer to Draco landed one warm hand on Draco's waist. And not to be outdone, Draco took Harry's smiling face in both hands and kissed him.